0: In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Nehemiah. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Nehemiah chapter 5 and follow along while I read. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children, or as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them, and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but You even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of the Lord to prevent the taunts of the nation, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain and wine and oil that you have exacted from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from this house, and from the labor who does not keep his promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes the king, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table a 150 men, Jews and officials beside those who came from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember my good, O my God, All that I have done for this people. In this section of the story, Nehemiah lets us know that the people who were working were starting to cry out because they felt like they were being treated unfairly. They were doing all of this work to rebuild Jerusalem, but they didn't even have enough grain to feed their families. And when they did try to get money, they were having to mortgage their land and pay high interest. And that was on top of all of the taxes that they had to pay to the king. Now, this would be bad enough coming from people that didn't understand the work that was going on or understand why it was so important for these people to rebuild Jerusalem so that they could honor their God. But these hardships and oppressions were being placed on them by other Jewish people. And that's significant because the law of Moses specifically speaks against the kind of behavior that's described in this section of the story. Especially when it comes to the idea of charging interest when you make a loan to another one of God's people. Exodus 22 verse 25 says, if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like the money lender to him. You shall not exact interest from him. And Leviticus 25 verses 36 and 37 says, take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. And Deuteronomy 23 verse 19 says, you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. God was very serious about Israel being a community and a brotherhood, that they would take care of each other, that Each one's needs would be supplied by those who had enough to share. There are many other verses and types of situations within the Old Testament that talk about how the poor should be treated, how they should not be marginalized or taken advantage of or oppressed in any way, but should be helped so that they will be equals with those who have managed to make money. And Nehemiah lets us know that during this time, he was trying to set the example He, by all rights, as a governor of the Persian government, could have asked for money from the people to pay for his food every day. And we're told that previous governors had done that and charged very high prices to the other Jews and and made their lives more difficult so that they could eat lavishly. But Nehemiah would put on a spread every day at his own expense and invite anyone to come eat with him and did not charge them for the food. I think at its core, this story is very much about showing compassion. It's seeing people who are in trouble, who need help, and feeling sorry enough for them and their plight to be helpful in making things right. We live in a world now where compassion seems to be a lost art. So many people are interested in trying to figure out what someone else deserves and only give them that. And very often we feel like no one deserves anything that we have accumulated or stored up for ourselves. Because of that, we become more and more skeptical of others. We think they're trying to take our stuff. And so we judge them, we marginalize them, we push them away because we see helping them as a way to hurt ourselves. And we don't want to experience that pain or discomfort, so we stop helping others. And when we do help others, we typically expect something in return. But when we compare Nehemiah's actions to those of Scripture, we see that he does a very good job of living out the principle of compassion and becomes a model for us who are people of God to show compassion to one another. First of all, Nehemiah was willing to help without expecting a reward. Verse 7 said, I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest from your brother, and I held a great assembly against them. He is challenging people who were only willing to help if it benefited them in some way. Now think about things that Jesus said during his ministry. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 2, he says, thus when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus let people know that when you help others only to be seen or to receive some kind of reward, that's the only reward you get. It's the things that we do in secret or with no ulterior motive that God sees and appreciates and honors. Luke chapter 6, verse 35 says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. That verse may sound a little strange to us. We may not have even heard it before, because very often when we do offer to help others, it's those whom we like, those who we think it will benefit us in some way to help. But here Jesus says, make sure that you're showing love to your enemies. Make sure you're doing good to the people who don't like you and mistreat you. Make sure you're willing to lend to them and expect no interest back. When you can show compassion to people who show you no compassion, you're treating them the way God has treated you. So we should help without expecting a reward. But we should also be useful to people without using them. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 11 says, return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Nehemiah tells these nobles that you have used these people to make yourself wealthy. These people that had very little you took advantage of. You used them to build your wealth while claiming that you were offering help. They were making loans to people, but they were making loans to people they knew could not be repaid. And so then they would take their property. Now these people who were already poor and struggling are left without anything. The wealthy were becoming wealthier because they were using the people who were poor. That's in stark contrast to Nehemiah, who was devoted to serving those people. In chapter 5, verse 16, he says, I persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Nehemiah says, I was there working side by side with these people. I was helping them do the work. I even had my servants working, those servants that I had to pay out of my own pocket, and we were doing the work, and I didn't require anyone to pay me anything. I didn't take any of the land that was there. I didn't take anything from these people. I was being useful to the people without using them. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to a young man named Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is what he says in verses 3 through 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Paul is talking very specifically there to Timothy about watching out for preachers who go around and build up a following just so that they can make money. They're willing to say anything and stir up any kind of controversy and ignore what God has actually said so that they can make money. That's what was happening in Nehemiah's time. These nobles were ignoring the things that had been written in the law because to them it was more important to make money and raise money than it was to be helpful to the people of God. In our time, we've got to be just as careful about being useful to people without using them. And we also need to make sure that we're helping people experience freedom without oppressing them. When we set a group of people free from one set of circumstances, it shouldn't be so that we burden them with another set of circumstances. In Nehemiah 5, verse 8, one of the people's complaints was, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they might be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. What Nehemiah is accusing them of is taking these people who had been able to escape captivity from Persia and enslaving them in different ways. They were being oppressed by the high interest that they were being charged just to live among the Jewish people. Nehemiah said that shouldn't be happening. When we got them out of captivity and brought them home, it should have been to freedom to live as a fully functioning Jewish person and one of God's people in the area of Judah. But instead, they were enslaved to the wealthy Jews who were already living there. Very often in our own time, we are convinced that if we ease up someone's circumstance, that somehow they owe us and should act a certain way or do certain things in repayment for what had been done. Maybe we think they owe us something. Maybe we see a way to manipulate that for our own purposes. But all we're doing is changing who they're indebted to. What we see in Nehemiah's example is what God has always called his people to, is that help them experience freedom without oppressing them. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But he criticized the Jewish leaders of his time over and over again for putting a burden on the people that they could not bear. Sometimes in our churches, we go beyond what God's called us to to make sure people fit in with our group. We ask them to do things and act in ways that have nothing to do with whether or not God's pleased with them, but whether or not we're pleased with them. And because we shared the gospel with them and and they experienced the freedom that comes from the gospel, somehow they owe us something. When the apostles and disciples got together in Jerusalem to talk about all of these Gentiles who were becoming Christians, there were some who thought that maybe we should make them become Jews as well. And at the conclusion of their discussion in Acts 15 verse 28, it's recorded that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden. The meaning was you've come to Christ and you've experienced freedom. We should not trap you and enslave you in these Jewish rituals that don't mean the same thing to you that they do to those of us who grew up with them. We shouldn't place that burden on you to experience freedom in Christ. When we're evaluating ourselves and trying to decide if we are genuinely compassionate toward others, we have to be honest with ourselves and make sure that we're offering help without expecting a reward in return, that we're being useful to people without using them, and that we're helping people to experience freedom without oppressing them. As we hear these words, we may be motivated to try to be more compassionate and make sure that we're following the example that Nehemiah lays out for us. And in this story, we see some things that we should remember as we look to help others. One is that those who store up treasures on earth are soon removed from them. Earthly treasures are things that stay here. We can't take them with us. And we will be separated from everything we accumulate in an earthly way. In this story, in verse 13, Nehemiah says, I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Nehemiah says, the way that we have been accumulating our wealth is not right because we've been doing it on the backs of the poor. That is not right. We can't oppress and take advantage of people in that way. And anyone that is not willing to live by the code that God has given us to live by should be shaken out like these crumbs on my garment. They should be separated from the people. And the people said, absolutely. They're not one of us if they're not willing to live by these principles. And so when we get to the New Testament... In Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 19, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there. Your heart is also. So remember, our earthly treasures are going to be separated from us. We also have to remember that we should be walking in the fear of God. In Nehemiah 5, verse 9, Nehemiah said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not walk in the fear of God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies? Nehemiah challenged them and said, instead of doing what you want to amass a fortune for yourself, should you not be doing what's best for all of God's people so that as a nation, we are bringing honor to God's name and not allowing our enemies and the other nations to taunt our God. In the New Testament, Paul writes a book to a church in Corinth. We know it as 2 Corinthians, and in the first six chapters of that letter, he has enumerated several promises that come from God. And when he gets to the beginning of chapter 7, in verse 1, he says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since God has been so gracious to us and has promised us so much, the only reasonable response is to allow Him to take out all of the impurities and be holy out of our reverence for God. Also, we need to remember that we've made an oath to God. If we're Christians, we have made promises to Him. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 12, the response to Nehemiah is, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. They had made an oath to Nehemiah, to the people, to God, that they would start doing things the right way and that they would correct the wrong that they had done. They would make amends for that. Well, we as Christians have made an oath to God and sealed it with our baptism. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 He's been talking about Noah being saved by water in the ark. And in verse 21, he says, Baptism, which now corresponds to this, now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. What's Peter saying? What is it about baptism that's so significant? It's not the getting wet, there's nothing magic that happens in the water. But in the same way we may sign a contract at a car dealership or sign a mortgage loan with a bank and promise to do certain things as a condition of the agreement, Peter says when we experience baptism, we are promising God. We're dying to self and giving ourselves to him with no ulterior motives, but to only live for him. That's the promise that we're making. Other translations, instead of the word appeal, use the word pledge, which reinforces that thought that Peter's making. We have promised God that we're going to live for him. Since we made that oath, we should be willing to follow through and do as we've promised. And we also need to remember that God remembers. Uh, Nehemiah, at the end of his discussion, says, remember my good, oh my God, all that I've done for these people. He says this because he knows God knows what we do, what our motives are, and whether or not we're truly devoted to him. When we're trying to decide whether or not we're going to show compassion to others, especially those that we may feel don't deserve it, we need to remember that God remembers all that we've done and whether or not we deserve his saving grace. God calls his people to be a people of compassion. Will you follow the example of Nehemiah? Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.